the Deep Sea Podcast. I'm Dr. Thomas Lindley. With me is the Professor Alan Jameson. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right. You've got stories to tell. Got myself in a bit of a pickle. You've had a, you've had a wee hoo ha. I have. I've got. I find myself in somewhat of a kerfuffle. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a silver lining, of course. There always is. So describe your surroundings. Where are you? I'm in an empty apartment. I'm three days into a five-day quarantine in an empty apartment near a gas station. About I know we're south of Tijuana in Mexico. I'm all on my own because it took me 61 hours to get <laughs> to Ensenada from Wellington, New Zealand, which is where I was last week, which is another story. But uh, So I had the worst journey in the world. Uh, lost all my luggage. It's not even coming now. Wait, it's just gone, your luggage? No, it's been re-diverted back to Perth because I've only got five days quarantine before I'm joining a ship for 48 days. The guy basically said, there's no way your luggage is getting to Ensenada. Wow. Or they couldn't guarantee it. And even if it did, we'd be long gone by then. So So they just gave up. <laughs> yeah. And so because I'm in quarantine, very strict, strict, strict quarantine, so is everybody else on the ship, but they're all having a great time up the road. But because I was late... They're I'm, at the party house. I'm at, I'm at the... Yeah, I'm at the uh, solitary confinement house again, which is all... This is the second time this has happened to me now. And uh, some nice people have been driving around to the Walmarts of the world and buying me clothes and leaving them outside. So I've now got enough clothes for <laughs> several days that's got to last me about 56 now or 46 days, whatever it is, I can't remember now. So yeah, the joys of uh, deep sea research in the age of COVID. Yeah. So locals are bringing you offerings. You're, you're having things left at your doorstep and they, they back away, bowing and in fear. No, it's not even that. They don't tell you. They just come and leave it and text you and then say, I've left something at your door. But they don't text you until they've gone, just in case you accidentally meet at the door. But I'm not allowed to go to the door anyway, so why would I? In case you jump out and get them. Yeah. So I'm in an empty flat. I've got a lovely fridge. That's what I'd say. I've got a beautiful fridge, but I've got no kettle or toaster and the TV don't work. So. Oh, so you've, you've been productive then because you've got nothing else to do. Well, the funniest story was, was a couple of nights ago, I thought I'd be really productive and make, make spaghetti bolognese, right? I thought I'd make the bolognese. That's what I took. They've left some food for me, right? So I cooked it all up. It was great. Try to cut an onion with a blunt knife, uh, and I cooked it all up, and I had some. I thought that's great. And I thought, well, there's I'll decant that into a bowl for later. And realised there are no bowls, and there's no other pans. So yesterday, I had to have bolognese for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, so I could get my pan back <laughs> for the next batch cook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't think ahead. There's a lesson to be learned there, people. Don't think ahead. Just eat what you want at the time, or you'll find yourself without a pan. Cool. Well, this sounds great for your mental health. This is all going well, but it, it will all it will all be for something. Can you talk about why you're heading out? Where you're heading out the cruise? Yes, we are leaving from Ensenada and spend 22 days going across to Hawaii. We'll stop at seven times across what's the Murray Fracture Zone. So it's a fracture zone north of the Clarion, which you've probably heard of, and deploy all the gear there seven times equidistantly along to Hawaii, and then take a hard left and then do another seven stations all the way down to Tahiti. So that'll be about five or 6,000 nautical miles transit. And then I swap over with someone else and they'll take a different line back up to Hawaii and a different line back over to San Diego. And then two months later, we'll all come back and do the whole thing again, but run another transit in between the previous two to Hawaii and in between the previous two to Tahiti with more gear. More gear, more gear. More gear. And at some point around Christmas, the whole operation will be somewhere in the vicinity of Pacific Islands, somewhere down, somewhere hot. So, uh, But before we get into any any of the rest of the podcast, I have to apologise because my little house is also next to a big toll road and there's massive juggernauts coming past every 30 seconds that shake the place to bits. There's big Americans are going up to California. And so you might hear some mad thunder going on, but it's not just 
big American juggernaut. Love them. We're struggling a little bit with sound tech this time. So your cruise, we talk a lot about the vast unknown Middle Pacific because it costs too much to get there. We've got very few data points from right out there in the middle. And here it is. You're, you're filling in these blanks. Yeah. Because some of the places you're going are hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the nearest data point. Yes. Which was probably taken in like the 1900s. That's the point, is to get right into the interior of the Pacific. The meat of the Pacific. Yeah. Right yeah. Get off the shelf, mate. Get into the interior. <laughs> That's the aim of the game. That's a deep sea motto. Yeah, so, so you know, this whole program's lots of different things. This is not a trenchy one. It's not a fracture zone one. It's the abyssal plane one. So we'll finish this big trans. So that'll be, by the end of this year, that'll do, that'll be six big transits across the Pacific. But then there's one more coming up next year, which will be from Tahiti all the way to Chile. And so that'll complete that big square, which I'm really looking forward to seeing. I mean, to be fair, this might be the single most boring data set we ever collect. But then we know. Then we know. Someone's got to do it, right? It's not, it doesn't all have to be sexy. <laughs> yeah, fill in those blanks. But anyway, I was talking about the silver lining to my kerfuffle. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I thought it was the, uh, the spag ball. No, no, not at all. No, no, no. The silver lining is that I find myself here with nothing. And so I have no microphone of which to talk to you except for my earbuds. But because I've got such a big empty apartment, and I've got nothing but a laptop and some earbuds, I can walk around. I'm actually having a cup of tea right now, which is a far cry from the days of being squashed into my <laughs> wife's wardrobe. And so this is almost liberating. The freedom. This is the first time I've ever done a walk around podcast. Oh, give us a good old tea slurp. Good old British tea slurp. Oh, oh that's good. I feel refreshed by that. Yeah. I feel better. Yeah, and it's also English breakfast tea as well, Tom. You'd like appreciate that. Of course it is. Yeah. In a big mug, in a big builder's of mug. Of course, yeah. Milky. Milky. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about deep sea again, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's written on the podcast, I think. Oh, I could talk about why I'm missing lovely British tea. Why? Why I sound a little bit different. Because I've looked out the window and there's New Zealand out there. Is that? Yeah, there is. It's not the old Zealand, is it? Are you sure it's the New Zealand and not the old one? No, it's the new one. I can tell I can tell by the model number. So yeah, my big news would be that I have oh actually I I decided to transfer this in the in the medium of puns. Uh, and actually they give you a shout out to a friend of the show, Shelley, because these are her puns. But I have received an official official promotion. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, I'm now working at Tapapa the National Museum of New Zealand in their fish collection, messing around with all their fish. Yeah, I've only been here, well, it's about a month now, still settling in, massive culture shock, moved the whole family across the planet. You'd know about that. You know what that's like. It's easy. I've also defected to the global south. <laughs> you fill out three forms, somebody stamps them, and then you've emigrated. And it's as simple as that, and there's no expensive forms or anything. So yeah, it's still getting used to it, but hopefully I'll have some interesting stories to share because it's a really active fish collection and wider museum it's a big research museum so uh yeah watch the space for tales from from the new zealand collection well done tom congratulations thank you mate there we go in ad mini stuff they're still getting patrons we're still having new patrons join it's really lovely so shout out to the new patrons since the last time rebecca cloud jake hewitt ken stowe Megan Jones, thank you so much for helping support the show. And we have been, well, we've got a Discord for patrons, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, actually. We're, we're slowly building up people. We're building up topics to chat about. And yeah, after the last episode, you asked me to give you a link, and so now you're there. And uh, how did you choose to, to express that, Alan? What, what are Tuesdays now? 
Can you remember? Douche Tom Tuesday. So I've decided that every Tuesday I just tell all the patrons something embarrassing or horrible or stupid that Tom's done. So it's really high-end <laughs> man it. content. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good, solid content. Although, although I have to interrupt you there. We did forget yeah? Douche Tom Tuesday last week, and there's a good reason we for did. that. Well, it's kind of done live. Yes, I did it live. I just forgot to share it with the patrons. But yeah, so Tuesday is the day that if you want to be horrible to Tom, confine it to a Tuesday, please. Yep, that's fair enough. Uh, I look forward to having the input from that. The other things that we had on, we had some brilliant fan art. So one of our patrons, Anything But Snow, was inspired by your feud with uh, Captain Barnacles from the Octonauts and drew a really lovely photorealistic polar bear wearing the Octonauts little jaunty cap, which as you know, Octonauts is a cartoon, but there is a real Captain Barnacles that that is based on. Uh, and that's the one that Alan has a feud with. Are we actually calling it a feud now? <laughs> I, I like it. I like a bit of sort of bit of celebrity beef. I think it's quite good. Oh, okay. Hey, I'll take that. Do you, <laughs> wait, I think in the episode you do, do threaten to fight him. <laughs> I don't think I threatened to fight him. I think I threatened to strangle him a little bit. Oh, just as a warning. Yeah, just, to, just to, you know, just to shut him up for a bit. That was all. I didn't mean any harm by it. Just wanted to strangle him. Oh, okay then. We'll definitely post that that fan art with permission. And that chat led on to um, she was interested in how to get involved in using her art for Psycom or taxonomic illustration. So we we gave a few suggestions. But if anyone of our listeners, you know, has suggestions how to use your artistic talent to join sort of scientific outreach, you know, preferably to be paid for that talent because artists get a lot of do it for exposure stuff then uh, yeah listeners please let us know if there's anything we should be talking about and you can join in on douche tom tuesday as well you can there's, it's paywalled but yeah turns out everyone's got a price and i'll just be bullied online yeah <laughs> if you join the patreon program oh and thank you for anyone who bought merch as well and just subscribing to the show it all has been great do we have a soundtrack for this month other than you making a cup of tea and having a good slurp? Yeah, uh, soundtrack. Oh, well, that's an interesting one. Uh, I personally don't have one because I live in a world of silence. I listen to two things. One is the sound of my own footsteps pacing around in a circle or a combination of my footsteps pacing in a circle whilst eating nachos. And the odd truck. And the odd juggernaut coming screaming past every couple of minutes to just <laughs> shake the place. So, so that's my that's my music of the, of the month. Okay. All right. We can go with that. It can be a more abstract one. So what's been going on in Deep Sea News? There is an amazing sort of full-size 3D scan of the Titanic shipwreck captured. And this has been posted a few places online. You can watch some videos or sort of have a little look about it yourself. It's a sort of false color image, but it's a fantastically detailed 3D model of uh, of the wreck as it currently stands. Well worth having an explore of. But spoiler alert, it's still wrecked. Well, it's not healing. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not magically put itself back together it's at all. It's getting better. It's getting better. It's not the way that we spoke to uh, Laurie about this last week. Uh, she, yeah. she can confirm too that it's it's still wrecked. It's being munched on from within. Even the bits that look okay are just wafer thin now. Yep. There was a new cave eel discovered. Mm -hmm. Loving a bit of bit of new uh, cave stuff. The interesting thing about these ones is the eye on one side was getting covered in skin. So we were almost seeing the degeneration of the eye as this species sort of specializes for going further and further into the caves. There was only like three specimens, I think, so not particularly abundant, but they do seem to have the skin growing over their, their left eye always. Why? So that was... There's an obvious big question there. Why Why yeah. would the skin grow over one eye, not the other? Why is it not symmetrical? I'd want to see them in action. I'd want to see how they were how they were lying. You know, are they, are they lying sort of 
almost like a flatfish like on their side with one eye pointing up and then the other one it's sort of degenerating maybe they swim around in circles in a clockwise manner in a pool and they just maybe, need one eye to keep a keep a breast on what's going on around them but the other eye is just grinding against the wall <laughs> much like mackerel their head shape changes yeah that was a little factoid you came out with over the week yeah have you not seen mackerel in an aquarium <laughs> I have. They don't look happy. Well, they look too stupid to be unhappy. Yeah, the head completely changes shape. They've got this big brick head rather than the pointy one. And apparently, because I asked, I, went, I was actually said to somebody, that looks a lot like a macro if it wasn't for the head. And they went, ah, ha, <laughs> It was once. Well, that's what happens if you put them in a tank. So why did you do that? Shush you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does that not suggest they're not supposed to be in a tank? Shush, get out. <laughs> get out. <laughs> we enough of your sort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember we covered the arguments about the origins of life and whether the furthest ancestral form was a sponge or a comb jelly? Yes. There has been a new chromosomal total genome sequencing sort of approach looking at changes in where genes fall on the chromosomes because actually that bigger rearrangement, it's kind of, it's not likely to go back again. That would be like shuffling a deck of cards and getting the same. Yeah. So by looking at that, there is indication that it's now the comb jellies. Ooh, the tinafores. The comb jellies are the sister group to all multicellular wow. life. Who's so, got the record for the deepest tinafore? As a guess, I'd say it's probably you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like to talk about <laughs> it, but you know. Don't want to brag, but since the chance to, to bring it up. <laughs> I mean, how often do tinafores come up in conversation? So I'm just taking yeah, exactly. the chance well here, right? Jump in, jump in while you can. Yeah. And the geologists are very happy that a deep ocean drilling project has finally revealed huge cores of mantle so we mm. now have samples of the earth's mantle which is a bit of a geology holy grail so all of the rock knockers are very happy with their great new rocks great oh and a noodle bar in taiwan is serving giant isopod ramen i saw this and i've been asked by several journalists to talk about this at the moment and i'm just not i'm not getting into this this is just ridiculous <laughs> i'm not engaging utterly ridiculous actually creating a giant isopod fishery so you can eat them with ramen it's like how could people be so stupid? It's just weird factor, isn't it? They're a scavenger. It's not It's not good eating. I mean, yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. It makes me mad. Are they really trawling for them? Because that was the bit that I was surprised by, but I wasn't sure if it's kind of got confused in the reporting. I don't know. You don't know what to believe when it's press only, right? Because they, yeah. they can go all over the shop on this. But if, if they genuinely are trying to create this sustainable or whatever it is, what they say, more sustainable is really prickly these days, but basically fish giant isopods for novelty food it's just i can't imagine there's much meat on them anyway because the reason why we eat prawns is because prawns have that big chunk of white muscle on the tail which they use for backward escape responses that's the prawn that's the, the bit that you eat but giant isopods don't have that and so you would be just ripping it little tendons and little fleshy bits within an exoskeleton it's like eating a giant cockroach yeah it doesn't have claws like a lobster yeah there's no there's no real dense muscle in there unless they're bycatch from trolls and i was speaking to someone at the conference which will allude to what we're going to be talking about they do turn up as bycatch every now and then and maybe that's not so bad but if i was gonna try and fish these things they go into a trap so willingly yeah. so happily do they go yeah. into a trap i don't think you need to drag anything across the seabed yeah i'm not a fan of the old uh, giant ice spot fishing either if there's such a thing not at scale as one little like weird novelty dish then yeah mm -hmm. but yeah that's an odd one I don't, I don't think it's going to take off and i think just by shock value and people talking about it is the, the sort of only thing it's got going for it, really. I did hear from friend of the show, Meryl, who has recently qualified as a sub-pilot. And so I asked her to record 
her initial experiences, basically. Ooh. What sort of outfit she's working for, what it's been like. And so here is what Meryl had to say. Deep Sea Podcast listeners, my name is Meryl and I work as a submersible pilot for a luxury cruise ship company. I'm one of a team of about 16 pilots from a wide variety of backgrounds working across two purpose-built expedition ships, each of which carry two submersibles. We use these subs to take passengers diving in the polar regions and many of the other interesting parts of the world that these ships visit. These are submersibles, of course, and not submarines. We are untethered and we move around freely, but we do need to return to the mothership at the end of a day's diving. In the Antarctic Peninsula, where I was working in this past season, that's the southern summer, this meant that our maximum dive depth was generally somewhere between 100 and 120 metres. Not super deep, fair enough, but incredibly interesting, especially because in these cold waters, you find a lot of species at a relatively shallow depth that are usually found far deeper. Often what happens is we go right down to the bottom and we investigate the rich benthic communities we find there. At other times and other places, we end up exploring walls or drop-offs. When we brief passengers about what they might see during the dives, we start off by telling them what they won't see. And in the Antarctic, what they won't see is whales and ice. Whales tend to avoid submersibles like ours because we use sonar to help us navigate. And the pings from the sonar are not sounds that they like. And of course, we're going to avoid ice for the same reason that small boats on the surface are going to avoid ice. Icebergs, as you know, are inherently unstable and they can capsize without notice as bits melt off or break off and their centre of gravity shifts. So no whales and no ice. What we do see are rich benthic communities, including large glass sponges that may be thousands of years old. A lot of organisms here, of course, are sessile filter feeders, but we also often see big Antarctic sun sea stars, also known as wolf trap starfish, and sometimes also encounter Antarctic cod. Though fish are not super abundant in this ecosystem and they tend to hang out relatively motionless on the bottom unless they're disturbed. In the water column itself, we can see selps, either as individuals or long chains, jelly animals, and also jellyfish, like the phantom jellyfish that was discussed a few episodes back. Towards the end of the season, what we were finding a lot more were dense swarms of Antarctic krill, Euphorsia superba, and to take the sub very slowly down through one of these thick clouds of krill is a truly amazing experience. In a few days, I'll be heading north to join the ship for several Arctic contracts. We'll be diving the subs around Iceland and Greenland in the Atlantic, and then navigating up through the Northwest Passage and the Bering Strait into the Pacific, exploring the coastlines of Arctic Canada and Alaska along the way. Until then, thank you for listening. But the more eyes in the sea, the better. And actually, this is already paying off because one of Merrill's colleagues made an interesting observation of an anglerfish, and that has already been incorporated into a scientific paper. So this is like, this is kind of an extreme version of citizen science. But yeah, the more, more eyes in the ocean, the more chances we've got of seeing something interesting. And it's really good to link up scientists with those eyes in order to give it context. And rather than it just being an interesting observation, actually a scientific data point. Oh, listen to that too. This is like a whole new podcast. <laughs> it used to be a bit sort of laddie and leery and beery, but now it's just like Alan's cup of tea hour. Yeah, come round, come hither. Oh, sit down, sit down. I'll put the fire on. Yeah, let's talk about giant isopod fisheries. Thank you, a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> so we got to hang out at the 10th International Crustacean Conference, which was being organised with uh, Niwa, who's like the 
the version of of Noah. Uh, down here in New Zealand and the the Papa Museum. So you were over as a keynote speaker, Alan, and it was a chance for us to catch up for the first time in ages, get down the Welsh bar, the only and slash best Welsh bar in the Southern Hemisphere, and catch up with loads of people we haven't seen since lockdown, since everything went a bit crazy. That was great. And uh, yeah, so I took the opportunity to go and see an old ship that I used to work on 10 years ago called the Kaharoa, because I know it's getting scrapped in, so I went to pay homage. Managed to get the old First Officer Steve out of his beekeeping retirement. We went down to see it together, so that's cool. And saw a bunch of other scientists as well. I had lots of meetings offline and gave a lot of talk. And we got to go to the Welsh bar pretty much every we day. Did. Yeah. And they remembered us despite it being nine years, and that's probably a bad sign. It's probably a bad sign, but they were very happy to see us again. And they, they, were, they weren't being polite. They really did remember us. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. And didn't he say like, uh, oh, I was just telling someone about you the other day. How strange that yes. you should come in. It's like, it's been nine years. We got off the plane about midnight. <laughs> and we about one o'clock in the morning and walked into the Welsh bar and the guy was still sat there. He's like, it's you. And it's like, you're still here, really? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's no, very cool. Love Wellington. Great. Oh, I do love it here. It's a fantastic city. It's just weird. It's a really good kind of weird. Not many chains. Everything's like little bespoke shops. Yes, it is good. But it was an opportunity to chat to a bunch of people while they happened to be there. So sorry for the free and loose layout to this episode. Uh, it was just a chance to, to chat to lots of people as we got bumping into them at the conference. So Alan can attest to how horrible planning such a huge conference can be. It is a huge and stressful amount of work. Oh, it's horrible. I, I, I don't think I'll do it again. I found it the, the, an absolutely <laughs> thankless task. Uh, I, I didn't appreciate what was taken on at the time, but uh, I won't say what conference it was because I hated every minute of it. And uh, yeah, the backlash and the, the comments at the end were really quite hard. And uh, yeah, it was utterly thankless and I'll never do it again. There we go. That's Alan's day. <laughs> but after the main conference had finished, just before the conference dinner, I managed to catch up with two of the key organisers to discuss how it all went and their thoughts and feelings on it. So here is... Kareen Schnabel and Rachel Pert. I always remember Rachel Pert's second name because the drummer in Rush is Ian Pert. Oh, well, there you I've go. never asked him if they're related. Can't be a common name. No. So I am here with Rachel and Kareen. So you guys put together the 10th International Crustacean Congress here at Tapapa Museum. You guys are both from Niwa. So it's just finished. You're beginning to relax. You're beginning to calm down. How's it been? Yeah, we've had four yeah. days here at the National Museum of Tapapa Tongarewa here in Wellington. And it's been the first International Crustacean Congress since 2018. So we haven't seen our colleagues for five years. Normally yeah. they're every four years, but because of COVID, there was more more delays and I didn't get to attend the last meeting. So it's the first time that we've actually seen each other in person. So I'm mm. still I'm still buzzing from seeing, <laughs> like seeing our colleagues yeah. who some of them we've seen on Zoom or of course we collaborate and talk and but having everybody together was just that's right. Just and then there's all these names that have appeared since 2018 of people who are early career and students that have come through and so it's really good to see them in person and just kind of connect and go oh okay your work's that bit um yeah actually that's an interesting one do you do you have any tips for a student say going into the conference for the first time like what what a scientific conference is like it's really easy to get overwhelmed by all the people and all the people that seem to know each other. So having at least one face that you know and that is familiar is a really good jumping point. It's okay to latch on to people. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and actually go, no, I'll go out with them afterwards, even though I'm exhausted and I'm totally wrung out, and um, just to 
maintain those networks. The social moments are, are really, really powerful. The, the talks themselves almost, it's a great chance to introduce yourself to like, they put the face to the to the work, but uh, yeah, it's the little relaxed mm. bits afterwards where... Uh, yeah. The talks are just the sparks, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. To put yourself out there. And that's really difficult to do, to put yourself into somebody else's face. <laughs> but I think it, just about yeah. generally, the uh, the senior scientists are not scary. There's a couple. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say, I'm still scared by a couple of them. But, oh, you know. but, but just, just walk up to them or find some way to, to just have conversations. I, I do remember, it depends on the meeting too. I've been to meetings which made it quite difficult to connect, but um, I really am struck by how sociable our particular bunch of crustacean scientists are. And that came through at the closing session that we mm. just had. And it's just a really wonderfully cohesive and sharing and very warm community and um, really wraps itself around, particularly the younger scientists as well. Yeah. And that really comes across. You yeah. see the confidence build over the conference as they sort of relax. Yeah, such a diversity of topics and, and people. And yeah, really, really successful. But I'm also really glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> you can finally relax. And they uh, they got a very sort of New Zealand welcome, a very Aotearoa sort of welcoming and, and structure to the to the conference. I know that we've got a lot of international visitors. Yeah, that was very special. We thought we would, uh, as as you do in, in New Zealand, you, you welcome with a, a, a Maori welcome. But there's various levels of it, from saying hello to uh, the full pofiri that we got, which was the invitation mm. to the uh, the marae that we have at Te Papa and welcomed by the, uh, the Iwin residents and the local called um, Taranaki Whanui, uh, Ngāti Toa, and uh, it was just a really powerful way to be welcomed with the sun shining through the coloured glass and the amazing marae. The, uh, I think that was a, a really, a really quite special mm. experience to, to showcase, to welcome to New Zealand. The last yeah. one was in, in Washington, the previous one before that in, in Germany, the one before that in China. So our delegates have gone around the continents and taking in a little bit of mm. that local culture. And, and this is the way to really, really showcase yeah. how and we are welcoming. Even though it was in completely into their Māori, I think people got the idea of the welcome of the sense of place, of the um, connection that people have with other people and place. That's great. With a bit of comic relief too, because uh, the uh, the other side, <laughs> the um, the welcoming uh, side, um, does the uh, the welcoming in in Te Reo Māori, and it was we couldn't understand, or nearly all of the delegates couldn't mm. understand, and there was like Māori 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 break crustacean, <laughs> Māori Māori Māori, <laughs> and we all had to laugh and that was one of those real icebreaker moments which yeah, <laughs> which yeah, was quite definitely special. yeah because it's such a grand atmosphere it's quite an intense experience yeah. then that little moment broke it and it was like no it is it is a welcome and then we had a phenomenal um kapahaka on the, at the welcoming reception which numerous people were in tears from wow. um natitoa and um they came and it was very powerful and a lot of people really were impacted by that. They were just like, oh, I feel really connected and welcomed. And That's wonderful. Yeah. Have you ever organised a meeting? No, no, I haven't done it yet. I'm still very new to New Zealand. and Yeah, I'm still learning, but I'm really enjoying learning. Yeah, Alan was a keynote speaker on the Wednesday. And then we had a, a deep sea session, lots of lovely amphipods, big flamboyant red ones. They are wonderful. Oh, I did see a keychain on one of the backpacks. Oh, okay. Oh. Oh, one of those backpacks. I had a tea ones. strainer that was a backpack. <laughs> <laughs> I do like merch. I do like yeah. Actually, jumping off from that, you guys, you kind of had like a charity raffle. One of the things looked rather familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we have the Ray Manning Bazaar. So Ray Manning was a stomatopod worker way back when and he passed away a little while ago. But people bring their crusty merch 
<laughs> to each conference and people do a silent bid and the money goes to our student awards and I contributed a face mask from the Deep Sea podcast of the, of course, the crustacean, not oh, the squid. Of course. <laughs> and I, I, was, I was aware of the, the conflict between the, the crustaceans and the fishy people and they're like, oh, crustaceans are just fish food. So it was good that we, we had the I am your tongue now just to, just to keep us fish people in our place. It's like, eh, it's not a one-way street. It's fantastic <laughs> as a face mask. It's really, it's in the right spot. <laughs> Oh, I, I was really surprised to see that. I really enjoyed that. So speaking of the student prizes, sorry to put you on, on the spot memory-wise, but... I, I judged one of them. I, one of the side effects of organising a conference is that you, you can't get actually get to see most no. of the, uh, the presentations. But yeah. I did judge the, the main oral presentation student award winner, and she presented this really cool um, biochemical um, aspect of the crustacean eye. So there's mm. these crystals, these crystalline structures that sit underneath the cornea of these shrimp and how they, uh, they're physical. It's a collaboration between physicists and chemists and biologists looking at the distribution of these crystalline structures under a crustacean eye and how they adjust that to light. So these were different shrimp and larvae that were in estuarine settings and in, in deeper waters day mm. and night and the background color was actually being matched by these crystals so the brackish browny estuarine waters their eyes ended up being more yellowish and then the um, the open water clear blue waters their eyes looked quite a bit more light silvery or turquoisey mm. and then that was matched on dorsal ventral back you know top and bottom with the background the light and the dark so it's a camouflage thing it is a camouflage mm. thing and it is a, an, a really quick response in the way that these little crystals are being shuffled around essentially that's what our, my take was on that yeah. talk. I'm not yeah. a specialist but I remember walking out of that talk and I wrote on my little judging sheet favorite and she, uh, <laughs> she ended up getting the top prize I think I've heard other people talking about that one I think that was that was a good one that sort of murmured yeah. around the room a little bit mm. yeah she was good were there any other big ones were there any other ones that seem to sort of send a ripple through the community it's just like oh that was new or that was cool one yeah. of the things which did did really make an impact I think the first time that we've we've incorporated into the conference was the remembrances mm. so we've had a few years and mm. uh, and a few of our colleagues have passed for various reasons not not COVID but uh, we've lost a few of our more senior colleagues and uh, and, and, and some younger of our, our younger yeah. colleagues as well and not some of it was uh, was really unexpected and we had we gave some space to remember our colleagues and we had a special eulogy session and that really, um, that was emotionally, you could oh. see how, how everybody appreciated that and we could all just send our love to, uh, to those. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, especially with it being so long since the last one. That's right. Um, and a lot has changed. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And they've given so much to us, so uh, well, we, we kind of, in our way, just send them our love. Yeah. There was lots of cool imagery. It's just wonderful to see the photos. Imagery's really leapt on. Like, it, it's some in situ stuff, but then lots of, like, scanning electron microscope stuff and just really, the detail just in the last decade has just shot up. I, I like a room of gasps. I, we've heard a few of those. Sometimes it's just a really good result, but sometimes it's just beauty. And you'll hear a few, ah. And it's funny because you can tell the people who like really like that group, they're sort of fans for that particular group and you'll, you'll get extra gasps of like, oh, that's the best I've seen of these things. And then <laughs> Helen Tamburg from Norway, her talk 
yesterday on the Hyperion antipods on jellyfish. Oh, yes. It had some spectacular images of the mm. jellyfish in black backgrounds, and it was just a stunning talk. A, a real eye for design as well, because there were yeah. great images to start with, but then the whole talk, it fit into that visual style, you know, when a, when a little thumbnail image could be used That's rather right. than a name. And so when you're, you've had talk fatigue a little bit, and just it was really a visual talk, mm, so mm. she really lent into, like, yeah, I've got great images, but I also know how to use them. That's mm. right. I know this science, but it also shouldn't be boring because yeah. <laughs> they're gorgeous. You appreciate the beauty. <laughs> mm. And mm. Alan's talk with all these amazing yeah. photos of those landers. Seeing and... Alicella yeah. moving and live. I've only ever seen them in Doing jazz. <laughs> so. There's a lot of character to them. This, this is the super giant amphipod. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I remember the, in the early sort of reports when we knew there was a giant amphipod down there and knowing how the little ones behaved, it was like, this must be an apex predator. This thing must be a monster. But they're, they're so gentle and lethargic and sort of gliding and a little bit clumsy as well. They look like the dumbest things out. Well, they are. They are. Sorry, I don't mean to offend a fish. No, no, I, I, will, I will accept it with those. Yeah, in order to keep their calorie usage down, the brain has certainly been stripped back in a lot of deep sea fish. And, and they're one of their members of that family. I think even a congener, actually, has the record for the smallest brain-to-body ratio for vertebrates. Yeah, bony-eared assfish has the, has the smallest brain-to-body ratio for vertebrate. Their common name indeed is assfish. Unfortunately so. I, I worked on yeah. a meme, but it never made it off the ship. I went to the Kermitic <laughs> Trench and all I got was an assfish. And I've got a little... <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> It never made it to a no. t-shirt. They're not great. They're kind of a muddy colour. They're very stupid looking. They are very stupid. They've got tiny eyes. Yeah. And to add to all of it, they're kind of phallic looking. So they've got very little going for them, but they're probably one of the most abundant fish on the planet. <laughs> That's awesome. They are the peak of their branch in that <laughs> phylogenetic yeah. tree. You know, it's... It, There's going no further. What's that other meme? It's like, you may not like it, but this is what peak performance looks like. And as an abyssal predator, yeah, it probably is. Doing some digging, it was... Luckily, it's ass as in donkey. <laughs> <laughs> which spoils the fun, which spoils the fun, so yeah, it's just... Which is a weird common name to give for that thing as well. Yeah. We did a deep dive on why um, grenadiers are called that, and it was this whole thing went right back to bishop's hats and things. Actually, um, we've been listening to, to your deep dive on the Fronima, because we also, as... Um, uh, one of the aspects of this this congress is the uh, the crustacean the clever crustacean Mafititino da Ave crustacean exhibition down at Tipapa, which is um, a small mm -hmm. public traveling exhibition. There is a Fronima in there as one of the heroes that uh, are being being showcased. And mm. of course, the first thing that always comes up is, is it based on the alien? And um, yeah. your your podcast has kind of it was, it was helped a little right bit in time. terms of oh. setting that right. It came out we just had at to the say time. to the um, comms people. Oh, because they're desperate to like, they yes, please, please. And we mm. kept pushing them away from saying it was all <laughs> alien type things. Oh, that's great. We enjoy digging around for that one. Yeah, it's a shame when it's a fun one. But yeah, we, we, we should strive for accuracy. That's the problem. It's the fun stuff that really propagates and it takes so long to unpick it. Exactly. So final breath of relief. But the fun's not over because some people are hanging around. Once you've got all these Ooh. crunchy crustacean people in the same place, there's some work going on next week, isn't there? That's correct. Yeah. So we're doing a systematics workshop Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which Johanna and Jenny are coming to. <laughs> so, and there's so many people coming through the collections because it's such an opportunity to come and have a look at what um, Niwa and Te Papa hold. So all these people go, my group? Could you pull out my group? <laughs> so I could go in. And someone said to me, I just want to just wander through the collections and pull out the specimens that I want to look at. And um, they're not allowed to do that. <laughs> so yes, so there are lots of people hanging around next week to look at 
further crusties. Yeah, it's a long way to come and there's a lot of talent that's collected in the same place. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. New Zealand is just happens to be on a really unique place on Earth. It's so isolated, yeah. it's so far from so many places, and we've determined that for the crustaceans about 40% of the fauna is endemic. So we've got a lot of these animal mm. groups and species, genera, families that are really unique, that are yeah. missing in, in people's data sets and their genetic trees and their morphological comparisons. And mm. So they, uh, they are itching to get their hands on some of these animals that, yeah. uh, that we hold. And, and this is um, yes, an opportunity to just nip next door. And we're going to have a great opportunity to train up some younger scientists with some of the more experienced ones being here. We lured them in with the temptation of the collections. We need we need new taxonomists. I know, we yes. really do. And I, I think it's almost been badly advertised or there's this idea of like the, the meat librarian and the collection is static and preserved and looks far into the future but the use of it is dynamic and in the moment and you know I was really surprised sort of behind the scenes at a collection just how busy it is and how weird the, the requests are and it is a public resource not just for scientists but for for the general public and so yeah this idea that this is a collection that has existed for hundreds of years gives it this static feel and there is a lot of care for the specimens themselves they are incredibly precious but yeah. the people who use them are flitting around all over the place and it's it's the cutting edge of a lot of research it is not it is not stagnant or it's not the old way of doing things no. i think it, it's really good that these young folk are getting to be excited about it and, and on an emotional level like being in the presence of the animals you study you can't really top that so still lots and lots to be done thanks so much for having a chat is there anything i've missed is there anything that would be handy to to talk about no, just the weird and wonderful world of crustaceans is out there like mm. People think they're just tasty things to eat or, you know, I've seen a crab, mm. I've seen a lobster, but actually it's mind-bending. Some spectacularly weird groups. Yeah. And even even in the, like, more commonly known groups, there's some real oddballs like, here is the body plan, let's see how much we can mess with it. <laughs> but it is one of the things that we're really trying to highlight in this little exhibition is that, uh, you know, you might think you know a crustacean like a common crayfish, but... Most of the people don't know that the larvae looks like a transparent leaf that's blowing in the wind mm. and traveling thousands of kilometers for years in these ocean currents. Or, and like or, goose barnacles yeah. are actually crustaceans, not mollusks, yes. which people bends people's brains. So, yeah, a, yeah. A, a barnacle is essentially a, a larval crustacean that's glued its face <laughs> to a rock and is using its legs to filter feed. Those are the sorts of things that, that come as a surprise, and that's great to uh, just try to share with the, the public. Thanks so much for having a chat. We also ran into our old crewmate. Tammy Frank, professor of Nova Southeastern University. She works a lot with Edie Widder, who we've had on the show, and she does a lot of work on deep sea crustacean vision, distribution, sort of interactions. Well, I pulled her away from the conference dinner, actually. She, she had drink in hand, there was nibbles, and then I accosted her and, and took her off to have a quick chat. So there's a little bit of dinnery noise going on in the background. We tried to find somewhere quiet, but because drinks were in hand, we got told not to. <laughs> so we, we, just, we just did it in the corner of the room. So here is some feedback from Tammy. We should probably do an intro. I'm here with Tammy Frank, professor of Nova Southeastern University, expert on crustacean vision. That'd be a fair bet. Deep sea ecosystems. 
crustacean distribution patterns and how light affects their um, distribution patterns during the day. There we go. And, uh, and sub-veteran, you were just telling me how many sub-dives you, you have. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to have about 70. And I have to say they're absolutely spectacular. Yeah, even at 70, it's not, it's not getting old. Every time it's wonderful. Oh, that's fantastic. Is there anything that somebody doesn't quite acknowledge? You were just telling me that, you, that the sub you were using, the refractive index is the same as that of the seawater, so that that whole sphere just disappears and you just feel like you're, you're there. Yeah, you feel like you're, you're, it's a comfortable seat. The Alvin, which is the Woods Hole submersible, my friend described it as basically sitting under your desk for eight hours <laughs> because it's a very cramped environment. You have to bend on your side to look out the porthole. But the JSL takes four people, a pilot, and a scientist in the front and an accessory pilot and a scientist in the back. And so in the front, you're basically sitting in a very comfortable chair. And so it's like sitting in your living room watching all the spectacular ocean life Whole panorama. By. Are you yeah. far enough forward, you get sort of a full 180, you get sort of to... Yeah, in the front you do. Yeah. yeah. You get the IMAX, you sort of lose your peripheral vision and you just yeah. get to be there. And it's nice because it's a very thick plexiglass sphere, so it's temperature insulated. Being someone who doesn't metabolize very well, it gets very, very cold. The back is an aluminum sphere. So in the Gulf of Maine, when it's 7 degrees centigrade outside, it's just about 7 degrees centigrade inside. Right. So beyond the, the fantastic view, it's worth getting that front seat just for the warmth. It is. I mean, in the back, we go down wearing normal clothes, but then come out looking like a Pilbury Doughboy because we slowly pile on layers. And so by the time the dive is over, or little frozen tidbits, wearing hats and mittens. And even though it's warm outside, the hull in the back hasn't warmed up yet. And so for us, it's absolutely freezing. Oh, and it's not like it's you're moving around. It. Yeah, still worth it's, it. It's still, still worth it. it. Still worth it. <laughs> I'm willing to suffer the cold. <laughs> even 70 times. Yes. What was your, what's your favorite experience in the sub? Was there, is there anything that leaps out as just like something amazing? Yeah. My colleague, Edie Witter, we shared the sub dives because we were doing work in the Gulf of Maine. So one time she would go down the front, the next time I would go down the front. And because she's a bioluminescent expert, she we knows We chatted to Edie. Edie's been on. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, that bioluminescence is mechanically stimulated. And so we would turn off the lights when we went up, we went down. And Edie has a classic quote that everybody seems to remember where she said, it's like the 4th of July down there, <laughs> which is a big holiday in the States because it's our Independence Day. And she's absolutely right. It's like explosions of fireworks going off. I need to see it. I've seen glimpses of bioluminescence, but I've not been, I don't know, that being immersed in it, especially long enough down there that your eyes have adjusted and it's yeah. sort of revealing itself. In Once you get down by about 500 meters, there's not much downwelling light for us to see. And so the bioluminescence is so bright that any motion at all, you'll see it. You don't really have to be dark adapted. Oh, that's amazing. So how did you find the conference? Very interesting. I learned things that I didn't know. I learned that I'm glad I'm actually not working in genomics because <laughs> I don't find phylogenetic trees that interesting. But there were a lot of deep sea amphipod talks here that I really, I don't really know that much about them. And that was very interesting. And then Megan Porter gave a dynamite talk on vision, which is my specialty. So of course it was a dynamite talk. Was that the crystals in the eyes? No, that was a student. Yeah, that she won. That was her master's. She won the, the, yeah. the student prize. Yeah, and I was talking with her because all the time on the cruises, we see these little tiny larval forms, look at them in the microscope and they have bright blue eyes. 
And my students was asking, why are they blue? I really don't know. But because of her talk, now I know why they're blue. And it's actually extremely interesting. So that actually probably made the conference worthwhile for me. It's usually that one talk that yeah. stands out where you go, I had no idea, and now <laughs> I know. And in a, in a field you're familiar with, it's yeah. when you're just like, that's what that is. I've been looking at that for years. Exactly. Unfortunately, she finished her master's and now she's going off in a different direction. No. Because I told her, you know, we get these. She was talking about that she didn't have a lot of crabs. She had mainly shrimp larvae. And a lot of what we see in our cruises are crab, crab larvae with blue eyes. And so I was going to offer to send her pictures or collect some for her. But She's shifting topics. What, she, what, what could possibly tempt her away? Well, she said actually her passion is chemistry. And so this project was a huge collaborative project between chemists and ecologists and biologists. And so. Well, leaving she, on a high. Yes, St indeed. Student talk winner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and well deserved, I think. Her research was excellent and her presentation of research was very clear on a topic that most of us don't understand that well. Fantastic. Yeah. What was the other talk that stuck with you? There was, the was a talk on amphipods feeding on bait at depth of 6,000 meters and then I think 850 meters. And apparently um, snailfish aren't found below 6,000 meters or they weren't until Alan discovered one in his latest. <laughs> but in the trench they were in, yeah, the 8,200 would, would have been beyond the fish. Yeah, uh, and so he showed video of, in the one case, initially the amphipods were on the bait, and then the snailfish came in and just decimated the amphipods. And he showed us the gut contents and it was filled with amphipods. <laughs> and the odd thing is the amphipods never came back. So even though there was, the snailfish don't eat the bait, only the amphipods do. So even though there was plenty of bait left, the amphipods never came back. In the deeper site where there's no snailfish, the amphipods decimated that bait within like 24 hours. And, and to, to make it clear to our listeners, the bait was a whole dolphin. It wasn't a small, yeah. it wasn't a mackerel. Right, yeah, no, it's a big fish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I just love seeing that many snailfish all at once. We, we, that was really, really We've not gone so long term. So yeah, seeing a great big pile of Mariana Trench snailfish was, uh, yeah. that was the and treat I mean, for me. His, study was they must have had remarkable funding to be able to go down that deep repeatedly but they went down on day one and like day three and then day 10 and day 20 and day 30 and my question was how on earth do you get the funding to have that many submersible dives repetitively in one year yeah lucky lucky exactly <laughs> thanks so much for taking a second to talk to me i'm sorry my to pleasure. pull you away from a lovely dinner and better company than me but thanks for having a chat Happy with us, Happy to Tammy. do it. <laughs> I first met Tammy Frank in 2007, which was the first ever trench job I ever did. And the, the, the idea was that her and the bioluminescence folks and the brain surgeons were trawling at like 500 meters, 1,000 meters, and we were firing these things down at 10,000 meters. So she was kind of hanging around the whole time. It's fascinating what they do. It's all brain light optics lots of crustaceans so she's a fascinating person she's uh almost the last one of that old guard of bioluminescence sign you know she's good fun she was a good chat she was good company at the conference yeah and she accidentally found the podcast when i mentioned it so she's probably listening now hi tammy hi tammy and apparently when ash was getting the permission to talk on the show from niwa the comms person became a listener so hello niwa's comms person hello <laughs> i'm local now say hi i've just remembered the tammy frank fact she can speak german she can speak German. <laughs> she can. She can. That bombshell of a fact. Yeah, who would believe, who, who could believe it? <laughs>
One of those bilingual people. Oh, <laughs> no, lovely, lovely, lovely person. Great working with her. Yeah, she's good fun. I also got a chance to meet in person and chat with Henry Knauber. Oh, sorry if I've butchered your last name. Uh, I didn't check how it was actually pronounced, so sorry, Henry. But I realized we've, we've actually been speaking before about communicating the deep sea and fun psychom outreach and how to sort of make science more accessible. And uh, he's really taken that and he's running with it. So Henry has some brilliant German language content over at Instagram at uh, Bissell Arium. We'll put links in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I was really impressed with the quality of it. So we, we, we chatted when he was first thinking of sort of putting something like this together. And now it's like a really mature channel. Um, so I know we have listeners in Germany. If you get bored of our silly voices and you want something really good in your native tongue or you fancy learning some German, Henry's stuff's really good. So check it out. I've taken a quick little sidebar with Henry Canoba just to have a chat because we realized, well, thankfully you reminded me, but we'd actually had a little chat together on the Deep Sea Society Discord. Yes, Deep Sea Biology is a symposium, I think it was. But we were chatting about science communication. Exactly. And how to talk to people about the deep sea without going monstrous. Yes. Um, and so how has that been? Like, what have you done? Yeah, ever since I picked up my PhD, that basically started right after DSBS, where we uh, both got to talk a bit. I also started to do a SciComm project besides a German one, because there are a lot of people out there on social media that you can follow that do deep sea SciComm in English. But I was thinking that we like something like that for a German audience. And um, we know from our stats we have German listeners. So Yes, that is nice. That's wonderful. But I mean, what, I'm one of them. So <laughs> but what a bar to entry. You know, uh, it's, science is hard enough anyway without a, a second language sort of filter yes. working on it. Well, my whole or the whole idea behind starting that was that people kept approaching me when I was talking about my work, being like, oh, my God, that's so interesting. So I could see that people are interested in deep sea science, but what's missing for them is an access point to get into deep sea science. And I just feel very comfortable and uh, enthusiastic talking about the deep sea. So why not put a little bit more effort in it? and make it Psycom. Where can we find you? Where can we find um, you yeah. Psycom? So I have a website that basically just serves as a backlog by now <laughs> for all the stuff I'm researching and putting together for the main Psycom channel, which would be on Instagram at abyss.arium abyss.arium on Instagram, where I'm basically just doing a lot, lots of different stuff, like obviously stuff from my PhD work right now, when I'm attending conferences, congresses. Also, we've been doing an expedition last year where I did a lot of filming besides actually working on the samples. And So if folk want yeah. to know what it's like on an expedition, you, you did sort of daily diary. Exactly, exactly. Like just taking some short video footage and uh, answering some questions, of course, uh, when people ask about how's life on a research vessel do they ask about the food they always ask yes. about the food and since <laughs> why is that so interesting i have no idea it's burger and chips like i found a new species but you want to know about yes. the burger and chips <laughs> well we didn't have burger and chips in fact because oh, german research vessel saw very german heavy cuisine which actually was even at some point so exhaustingly German that at some point when we actually came into the harbor of Vancouver after six weeks we were all just going to the next Asian restaurant ordering some vegetarian stuff because we were craving it so heavily but yeah amongst that also questions regarding like sampling what do we find and how's life in general what's your daily routine on a research vessel what was the weirdest question that you got and did it did it like unlock a lot of stuff with you because so, sometimes you don't think about this stuff until someone asks um there was one question i got recently not connected to the uh, deep sea 
expedition, which nobody asked me before, which was, is there anything you are scared about the deep sea? Wow. And for deep sea scientists, I think this is a difficult question because- This is one we get a lot. Yes, <laughs> usually we just like, people ask you, what, what's the most fascinating thing or what's your favorite animal? Uh, but something that actually scares me about the deep sea, I really had to think about it and I actually didn't come up with an answer. Well, they ask you with a smile on their face. They yes, ask you, like, yes. Scare me. Tell me a scary story, and you go to the scary place. And that's kind of what we're trying to push back on. It's like, yes, it's like all place. these tropes <laughs> with like, I think it's just this common misconception that we have like some animals which are just very large, and some animals that look very creepy, but are in fact like very tiny. Yeah. And then in people's mind, they just fused together to like some giant monsters. But in fact, at least for my research, we're tackling very small isopods, just a few millimeters in size, smaller than your common roly-poly in your garden or cellar. So they're cute. And, nice standing uh, electron microscope, you know, if you forget yes, the size. Yes, yes. Okay. They're mighty beasts, but yeah, it's that pressure to deliver that entertainment of the horror show. Yes, well, we can always diverge basically to those fascinating animals, because we have a lot of very weird, of course, creatures. Not necessarily horror creatures, but just very fascinating in the way they live. And um, talking about xenophores, for example, which always look nice, or barrel eye fish or something like that. There's dozens of examples of very fascinating deep sea creatures. Yeah, and go, go for the cool factor. You can sort of entice them in and then change their mind a little bit. Yes, go, go, that's the aim, cool. I guess. This yeah. is why you should care about deep sea. That's yes. That stuff. Oh, very cool. So how did you find your first, your first proper full-on cruise? Well, uh, I'm in a working group uh, in Frankfurt that does just a whole bunch of crustacean research, uh, mainly deep sea isopods under the leadership of uh, Dr. Angelika Brandt. Yeah, yes, okay. yes. <laughs> and uh, she's been doing like a lot of uh, deep sea expeditions in the last decade uh, along um, Hadel Trench systems in the Northwest Pacific. She's a powerhouse. She is, she is, is yes, <laughs> yes. And last year we finally made it work after a couple of years of planning to actually go to the Aleutian Trench, complementing our research uh, that we previously did on the Kuril Kamchatka Trench, Japan Trench and neighboring basins basically. And uh, it was very exciting for me to join that despite not being deeply involved into the project itself. But I could join, I did worked on some isopod samples from epibendic sledge samples and found also some specimens that actually benefit or that actually will benefit my PhD thesis as well and my research. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah, was it a long one? Uh, six weeks, Okay. Uh, which for, for first deep sea expedition, yeah. that is one of the longer ones, I would say. But I gotta say, being on research vessel Zonne is probably the most comfy oh, thing you can nice have. Boat. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is a nice boat. Like every deep sea expedition I will do afterwards will have to compete. It's a hard act to follow. Yes. Yeah. I think it can only go down from here without like insulting other research vessels around the globe. It's a good boat. It is a very good one. It's not just that it's comfy. It has a good atmosphere. It has a friendly atmosphere. Yes. Found the marine crew. We had a very good fun. time. Uh, obviously, like at some point, you get a little bit annoyed. I would say, being on sea for an extended period of time. It's always the third week. I don't yes, know why. yes, I, I, exactly. Once I'm through the third week, it's not, it's not at the three-week mark. It is the third week always. That's when I get a little bit homesick. That's when I, like, I, I want to be off here. Once I get through that, I yeah. can do six weeks. I could do yeah, yeah. weeks. It's, it's like, I don't know it's what like it so two to three days where I just feel like very, I don't want to talk to you. Just let me do my work and finish. And after that, you're for some reason yeah, you very comfortable and you just roll with it. 
did you did it come out with like intense friendships? Because like th- six weeks at sea in the real world, where you're saying going out for drinks or going to the cinema, like that's that's a two year friendship. Yes, into six weeks, and it's a hard environment and. For sure. Um, I was lucky enough to share a cabin with a colleague from Frankfurt and a good friend of mine, which was very comfy. Also met a lot of uh, young scientists there because we actually had to change uh, the staff for the expedition very shorthanded. And yeah, I haven't met most of these people again ever since the expedition, but we're still keeping in touch. And whenever we should somewhere on this planet run into each other, I am quite certain we will just beat right back to the vibe we had on the research. Oh, no, that, that's, that's how it is, because it's such a small community. And it might be 15 years, it might be 20 years, yes. but you'll fall straight back into it because like, it's Absolutely. such a pressure cooker like, you know, to yeah. make friends and enemies, really. <laughs> it's, it's an intense time, for sure, like an intense class trip with its ups and downs, for sure. Yeah. But I guess most of the people, if not all, I can judge, would definitely just go straight for the next one if they could. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic opportunity. It's hard. It's hard work, but it's yes. a great opportunity. And you did this like in COVID times, in the, in the dark times. Right? Yes. It was troublesome and definitely also uh, didn't help lift the mood on board. But we pulled through and it's one for the books that we now actually had research or deep sea expedition with a pandemic going on. Yeah, and one of few people yeah. without a gap in their data set. Yes, <laughs> we actually <laughs> just went there and pulled through. Nice one. Yeah. Oh, thanks for chatting with me. Really well, it was a pleasure every time again. So one more time, Instagram is... At abyss.arium. Great. Go check Thank you out, very much. Especially if you're German speaking. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry you have to listen to us. There should be better things. <laughs> So Henry speaks German as well, given that he's German. Oh, is there a theme? I, I don't know. It's just been naturally evolving. <laughs> like, so. well, they like that marine science. They do a lot. They do. Love the German ships. Actually, yeah, the German ships are really good fun. Did you ever go in Meteor? I feel like I might have done as part of the Coralfish project. but Yeah, Meteor's a fine vessel as well. Meteor's great. The old Zona was my favourite. The new Zona's great, but the old Zona had loads of character. <laughs> it was wonderful. It had history. You could see every, you know, it was just... It, like an old, really old car it's probably had multiple owners. It's wonderful and it just worked amazingly. I don't know why I'm getting all reminiscent about old chips this episode, but there you go. It's it's because you say goodbye to the Caharoa. That was quite... It's, now we realise that they disappear as well. Like we've all got our favourite chips. We've all got the ones that we really had a good time on. And then to realise that they are they are themselves mortal and that someday they too shall pass. Well, the thing that got me about Caharoa, because Caharoa was one of these things that sort of made my career. Because it's when I first started going out on my own and doing this ridiculous deep stuff. And, you know, fair enough, we started it on the old zona, but really came into my own using Kaharoa. And, you know, we asked the first time we found the super giant and the snailfish. And the first time we got to like 10,000 meters and, you know, took it all the way in Caledonia back. But with the benefit of a little bit of age slash wisdom. And the odd mega yacht, let's be fair. To be fair, lots of <laughs> mega yachts and sub support vessels and everything else. Well, Steve and I went down to see it. It was great to see Steve again because, you know, he's, he's not even worked on Cairo for a long time either. Went down, got on board. I'm just like, wow, that's small. Like, how did, <laughs> how on earth did we do that? I just, I just don't know. The, you know, the four-man cabin with the... Four people in that cabin. I know. I just, I don't think I've got it in me now, which is weird because I'm talking about going to sea for the next two months. But actually, since the last podcast, I've been to sea as well. It, it was a little short one that a colleague did the three weeks, but I went on for the first two days. And I remember looking at this boat, we only went off Perth, off Perth Canyon, down to 4,000 whatever metres. And uh, I was looking at that one going, man, this is this is as small as a Caharoa, you know? And uh, we went out in Perth to get to 4,000 metres in Perth. It was only about eight hours. 
by the time we got out there, I'm just barfing all over the place. Like, it's been a long time since I've been on a small boat. I was like really ill. And we put out this massive big mooring line and all the rest of it. And I came back, I was like, oh, that's like the Kaharoa days, you know, you puke for the first two days. That's all it was. But then when I went to see Kaharoa, I'm like, that's even smaller. But I thought they were both about the same size, but Kaharoa is even smaller. I can't believe we took that. Across the South Pacific. All the way to the middle of Kermadec Trench, all the way across the South Fiji Basin, all the way to New Caledonia, and then back again. And oof, jobs for the young men, I reckon. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> but we can always brag about it, how we cut our teeth doing that. Yeah, brag about it, yeah. But just not doing it again. So I've decided yeah. from now on. We don't have to, you've done it. From now on, <laughs> delegate now. it's big, big boats. Big boats only. <laughs> with heli decks and sky bars yes absolutely oh and that sums up this slightly unusual episode but thanks for sticking with us we now have a support page to help keep the podcast going so we've listed lots of ways of helping the show from the free like leaving a review subscribing to becoming a patron or sort of buying the merch on that track we are also open to any advertisements if you'd like to advertise with the show uh, we've got a very informed passionate science and deep sea loving audience if you would like to reach them then we can offer chances for that so you can check out the many ways of visiting us in the show notes and uh, i think that concludes it who knows what the next one will be like who knows if we'll even have you for the next one alan you're gonna have to check out what the i don't know we may have to do a little practice run or maybe have to try and plan it so we're alongside in hawaii or something like that i don't know but uh, i've got a question though about this whole patronage discord thing that's a fans only thing right it is. So that, Don't say only fans. That's different. Is that that's different from only fans? Then, is it? It's not gotten that better yet. But since I'm already like pimping myself out, yeah. Okay, coming next month, the the deep sea only fans, where you'll see us only wearing a giant ice pod or something like that. Oof. That's what the people want, isn't it? I, I think that is exactly what people want. So I'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever it takes to keep the podcast going. All right. I'll do that. All right. But at the moment, it's fans only, so I can put my trousers back on. Well, I don't know. It gives you a sort of interesting energy, especially with a cup of tea in hand. Cup of tea, trousers down. I haven't stopped walking. This, whole, this entire chat, I have not stopped pacing up and down. Get your steps in. It's good for the energy levels. Well, yeah, because all my own, my exercise yard is just a little balcony. Yeah? <laughs> That's your it. exercise yard. You <laughs> pace like a caged tiger. Yeah, the folk up the road have got a swimming pool and an outside oh, You restaurant. can hear them having fun. Oh, no, they're miles away. They're well away from me. <laughs> Their biggest issue is they've got snakes. They've got rattlesnakes up there. Oh. No rattlesnakes in here. They wouldn't be allowed in. They'd have to quarantine. So yeah. if one comes in, you've got to keep it. Do you know I've gotten that board <laughs> that I'm actually starting to build a jetpack out of my recycling. <laughs> <laughs> Updates, please. So you're going for full uh, full Mandalorian jetpack? Yeah. Because that's just a box and some tubes. When it's time to leave, I'm going to light it and jump off the balcony and see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is good for you, mate. I don't think it's good for you to be on your own. <laughs> oh, no. It's only day three as well. Left with your own thoughts. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. But no, yeah, it, it comes a time in every man's quarantine where he has to build himself an imaginary jetpack. In fact, it's not imaginary, it exists. It's just made of yeah. two pizza boxes, some kitchen roll tubes and uh, <laughs> An old plastic uh, orange juice bottle. Pictures, please. Pictures for the feed. Of course. I was using two uh, expired COVID tests as my ignition switches for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really thinking about this, too. I got a warning from the second engineer on the ship to try and not fly too close to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> ah, quarantine, eh? So on that, we'll deep see you next time, and I'll miss you already.
If you would like to advertise with the Deep Sea Podcast, feel free to get in touch. Our audience is primarily young people with an interest in science, often undergraduates or people considering a degree in marine science, but it also includes established scientists. Feel free to get in touch if you're interested in reaching these groups. Why why do I feel so much better for hearing that? That's my second one. You know, I just made another cup of tea while you were yabbering away there. No, I could hear you pottering around. I could hear little (laughs) clinks and tinks in the background. (laughs) 